hear the incredible word of the Lord to us this very morning. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turn holding feasts, speaking of feasts, holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. (laughs) Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked 
I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Thus ends the reading of God, the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen and amen. Wow. Can I back out? No, I can't back out now, can I? If I were to ask you, you don't have to answer out loud, but if I were to ask you what comes, what one word comes to your mind when I say the book of Job, I would guarantee the majority of us would say the word suffering. Right? Think about it. A lot of times when we're suffering, and if we think about, hey, where can I find some solace? Where can I find some help? The first book that comes to our mind, in many cases, is Job. Certainly, I've heard people refer suffering people to Job. Oh, you're going through it? Well, here, read the book of Job. I don't know about you. I heard people say that. Well, what if I were to tell you, rut that suffering is not the main theme of the book of Job? We have Presbytery next week, so you can tell on me. What if I were to tell you that if you're turning to the book of Job for a specific answer for why you're going through what you're going through, you are going to find yourself sorely disappointed? What if I were going to tell you that? Now, I want to back up and make sure you understand this. I'm not saying that suffering is not one of the themes, even if a major theme of the book of Job. And I'm not saying that we're not going to learn tons about suffering's role in our life. We're going to learn about, listen, this is a big word, the inscrutability of God. You wonder what that is? We'll learn in the following weeks. I ain't telling you today. We'll learn about the sovereignty of God, how God is sovereign even over evil, and how he even uses evil to his holy ends. Wow, that one's going to be a mind twister. We'll get into all those interesting things. We'll get into this whole, you know, the book, why, does bad, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, we'll learn some of that. We'll learn some of that. But upon studying this fascinating and substantial book of Holy Scripture, I really don't believe any of those things is the main point or purpose of the book at all. I do hope that you'll be greatly encouraged and strengthened in your faith as we discover the real message of Job, like I've been so far and hope to be blessed more. And certainly if there's anyone here that doesn't know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ personally yet by faith, I pray that God would use the upcoming messages in these weeks and months to come in the book of Job to drive you to your knees in awe of such an awesome, holy, perfect God who does all things, all things well. Even when those things are completely incomprehensible to us. Quick word about the structure and then I'm jumping right into this. The book of Job is broken into three Sections, so you can help you to see this because it's a big book, right? 
The three sections are what we call the prologue. That's kind of the intro. That's the first three chapters. Then you got the monologue. That's where Job is going back and forth with his friends and with God. That's what we call it, the monologue. And that's the biggest section of the book. That's that whole middle section. A lot of repetitive stuff. So we'll go through certain portions of it, not verse by verse. And then there is what you call the epilogue, like in the book. That's like how the book ends, the outro, I like to put it. And that's like the last chapter or two where God comes down and says, now it's t- you've been asking lots of questions, Job. Now it's time for you to sit down like a man. I got some questions for you. <laughs> I love that one. That's like so, that one is the one, that chapter, you could just read it and say, amen. But anyway, so what we're going to see today, though, this is what we're going to look at. Normally, I give you my theme and my points. This time, I'm going to give you my points, and then we're going to unfold the theme. Okay? A little differently. So what we're going to see, I'll, I'll go as succinctly as I can, but that's going to be tough. We're going to see the blameless man. Then we're going to see the hidden plan. Then we're going to see the test begins. And then we're going to see the Lord wins. And remember, we're talking about chapter one now. Then we've got to deal with chapter two. We'll see there's more different colors to the palette there. So let's take a look at the blameless man. We find that in verses one to five. And in the very first verse, we read, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. First thing we want to see about this incredible story is that it's not just a story. In other words, even though the way it's told is almost, it sounds legendary, doesn't it? You know, and and the literary way, while he was still speaking, the next came, while he was still, like it's very, you know, and once upon a time there was a man, you know, it sounds very, but what we need to see is he was a real man. This is a man who existed in history and in space and time. Now, pastor, how do you know this? Well, listen, I'll tell you how I know this. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, mentions Job. Did you know that? Ezekiel mentions Job along with Daniel and Noah. He mentions those three men. And and in that context, he says, even if those three men pray for you guys, God wouldn't listen. (laughs) That's pretty powerful. Because he's, he's picking out three of the most righteous men, right? And here Job is included as a historical figure. Not to mention, you know, there's somebody in the New Testament that mentions him too. We preach through that book. Hope somebody remembers. James. You remember James says, you've heard about the perseverance of Job and what God did for him in the end. So we're talking a historical person. But that's not really the most incredible thing about this story in terms of the character Job, who, by the way, isn't the main character. Who's the main character of the book of Job? Yahweh. But I digress. Back to Job. The real incredible thing about this man, Job, is that notice how he is um, referred to here. Verse 1. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Now, the Hebrew word here is blameless. In other words, he kind of explains what it means to be blameless here. It's someone who truly fears God, right? Remember we talked about that before, trembles at his word, takes him at his word, and and embraces the promises and shuns away from evil because of the warnings. This is a man who's a wise man, the the Proverbs and Psalms later will call, right? What's the fear of God? Uh, uh, what, What is wisdom, rather? Fear the Lord. To shun um, and to shun evil. 
Now, it doesn't mean, let me get this real clear, it doesn't mean he was sinless. We know this, I, I, could, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we know there was only one sinless man that walked this earth. And his name is Jesus. Because as Isaiah will later say, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we'll see later on as well, even though obviously he didn't have the full light of, of what we have about who Jesus is, Job looked ahead to a redeemer. He looked for a redeemer. He had hope in the promise that a deliverer would someday come. So Job was a real believer. He was a man who had integrity. In other words, the same thing that was outside that he showed to other people. You know how we do that? You know, praise the Lord. Oh, how you doing, brother? That same thing was inside when nobody was watching but God. I'll give you one quick example of this so you understand what the word blameless is. The same word for blameless that's used here in Hebrew is used in Psalm 37. And look how it's used there. Psalm 37, verse 18. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. And look at verse 20. But the wicked will perish. Now, on a side note, this is going to be one of the big issues of Job, isn't it? He's a blameless man. But it sure looks like in time of disaster, he was withering, doesn't it? It sure looks like he was perishing. Amen. It wasn't making a lot of sense to Job, especially not to his three buddies. But again, we'll get to that later. But for now, let's see, he was an upright man. And, but notice something else about Job. He wasn't only an upright man. He was like the poster child for health and wealth theology. Because this is what I mean. He wasn't only healthy, he was wealthy. You notice what he had? Oh, my goodness. He, in those days, this would have been like a big deal, all right? He had, first of all, he had a blessed family, 10 grown children. Now, now, some of us say, hey, what a blessing. Other of us go, my, my, me. You know, two was enough. But it was, you know, it says when your quiver is full, the Bible says you're blessed. They're like arrows, man. So he had 10. He had thousands of sheep. He was a bad boy. No, he had a lot of them. He had hundreds of cattle. He had tons of donkeys. You know, we're talking he would have had Mercedes parked in his. I mean, he, this guy had money in that sense. You know, a lot of times, and then notice the big punchline here, he was the greatest man among all the people of these. You know, I've said this myself, and I say it a lot. Hey, look, what do we got to lose? Let's do it, right? Let's try to play in a church in the latest. Hey, what do we got to lose? My wife and I, what are we going to do? Stay in a Listen, Job couldn't say that. Job was a man who had a lot to lose. You with me? He had a lot to lose. This is a picture. We get a picture here of a blessed man in a happy, loving, joyful home feasting. Right? His table is set. And Job was a man whose heart was full. You know those moments in life you get that fullness? God blesses us sometimes with those moments. Well, Job had that going for him. But one other quick thing I want to point out about Job. He was healthy, he was wealthy, and he was wise. He was the spiritual leader in his home. Notice what he did. Notice that 
he would offer up sacrifices. When his children would get together and feast, he would go quietly and offer up sacrifices because he says perhaps in their heart they've cursed sin and cursed God in their hearts. So listen, you want to bless mothers, especially if you're a husband today and you're married to, to a woman who, and you have kids you want to bless, then be the spiritual leader of your home. Amen. This was, I mean, we desperately need men of God. You get an amen on that, right? Amen. And Job was that. Job was a man who, he was, you know, we talk about what a real man is, oh, oh, burly man, real you know, macho man, we used to say in the 80s, macho man. You know, well, the macho man to God is a man who fears God. You with me? Amen. It's a man who shuns evil and a man who says, I take care of my kids to the best of my ability. Don't get me wrong. We all have different... Uh, yeah, exactly. We all have different limitations, too. True. But that doesn't uh, stop us from getting on our knees and praying Amen. for our family. Amen. And not saying, oh, you know, let, let the, the wife take the kids to church. I'm going to go out fishing. No, you show the kids God's important. Amen. We go to church. We go worship God. That was free, by the way. That was. So we get a man of wisdom, a man who truly fears God, shuns evil. But now the scene switches. We go from this blameless man to the hidden plan. We're going to turn to here. This is really cool, verses 6 to 12. We get this very unique and this very rare. It's very rare. You know, you ever, you ever go on YouTube? I don't know if you guys like different bands and musicians like I do. And they'll say, rare concert from you know, whatever your favorite. And I'm like, everybody has that concert. What are you talking about? There's like millions like that. But in this case, I don't exaggerate when I say this is a very rare scene. We are getting to get this glimpse in the very counsels of God, in the very presence of God. And it's a very strange scenario to us, isn't it? Here you have God sitting in council, as it were, and you have the angels, that's what the sons of God mean, you have the angels presenting themselves before the Lord. If that isn't weird enough, listen. It says, the accuser, that's translated Satan, the Satan, shows up. Now, I don't know about you, you know, if it wasn't for the fact I've read this book before, I'd be like, what in the world is going on here, right? The accuser shows up. It's important to see that. And, and as it were, God shows us, stop me, if I say as it were too much, stop me, I hate when the people do that. But it's kind of like what God does is he gets, he pulls back the curtain for a minute and says, you want to see a little bit behind my, in my counsels? I'm going to show you. Now, the thing you need to understand is Job never sees this. From the beginning of the book till the end of the book, God never tells Job about this scene. So you know that. But we get to see it as the reader. And what we see is we see this question that God asks. And I think it's really important to see this, that it's God that asks it. He says to Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then God asks that fateful question that good thing Job didn't know about it at the time. Are you with me? He says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So let's take a, a quick moment to look at the major character of the book of Job, and that's Yahweh. 
That's the word used here. It's the Lord. You know, there are many names for God, but here it's the personal name for God, the Lord. Amen. Now, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers, not Dick Lucas. I'm not gonna, so, you know, it's not him. It was another guy. And this preacher is normally much wiser than me, much more experienced, and he's definitely a more eloquent preacher than I will ever be. But he made a comment that I completely disagree with because the text doesn't bear it out. It preaches nice, but it ain't true. He said this, he said, look at how Satan was provoked by the godly life of Job. And then he, then he convicts you, right? I'm like, oh man, you're hurt. And he goes, would, would, would uh, Satan ever uh, be provoked by your life? Is your life godly enough? And of course I'm like, oh. But notice, is that what provoked Satan? Look at the text. No. God prompted Satan to look at Job. You see that in the text? Who says, have you considered my servant Job? Yahweh. Why am I pointing that out? Well, I think it's important for us to see that throughout the book of Job, as, as, as much as throughout all of scriptures, we see that ultimately, when it comes down to it, when push comes to shove, God is the ultimate sovereign ruler in the affairs of men and angels. Amen? Now, sometimes he uses secondary means. We see right here, he can even use the devil for his purposes. You know how Martin Luther said it. He may be the devil, but he's God's devil. You know, that's right. You should be clapping your hands. You know why? Because that, mean that means God says, this far and no further. You got it? This way, God can say, you're not going to lay a finger on him. How's that? And he's got to have his tail between his legs and go, you know, away. Because God is God. But notice carefully, and I don't want you to miss this. We read it just a few moments ago. Job literally comes out and acknowledges this later after he goes through this first test. You notice what he says? Does he say this, that, that Satan takes away? No. What does he say? Does he say fate takes away? He says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And then what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So listen, we're not Calvinists. We're Jobists. But Calvinist sounds better. My point is before reform was reformed. This, this goes way back. This goes back to the time of probably around Abraham or a little bit before that, when Job was around. Let's take a look at the second main character here, and that's Job himself. And notice what God says about him. I don't want to pass this up. Look at verse 8. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And then he says this, there is no one on earth like him. So listen, please. Can I, can I make a plea with you? How many times have you heard people say, oh yeah, I, feel, I can really relate to Job. Really? Are you with me? I mean, that's funny because God says, no, you can't. God says there ain't no one else on earth like him. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just got to say it. He was truly special. He was, he was a blameless and upright man. But notice, he was the kind that Psalms and Proverbs often talks about. He was the poster child 
of the blameless and upright man who fear God's name. So, so let me say this. My, my wife often says this and embarrasses me, but I love her for it because the way she encourages me, and I, I so appreciate that she loves me and thinks of me highly, even though I know myself too well. But I'll overhear her tell people, or she'll say right in front of me, I'm like, oh, please. She'll say, listen, if you have a problem with Santo, my husband, then you got the problem. Right. So, so I, you know, I'm kind of like, I got to be like, hey, thanks a lot for that. And then I go away knowing like, well, that ain't true. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, because I know sometimes I got to go up to people and say, look, man, I know I'm sorry. I said I was going to do this. I did that. Or, hey, man, I shouldn't have said that behind your back. Whatever it is I did. Right. But uh, but God bless my wife for loving me like that and looking at me like that. That's the eyes of love will do that. Right. Amen. Yeah. So anyway. You husbands know, look over at your wives. That's the only way they're looking at you. How would they stick with you? But notice here, here's what's interesting. God says it. So when God says it, that settles it. I believe it. In other words, God who knows all things says, if you got a problem with Job, then what? It's your problem. Because this is a godly man. This man right here, he fears me. He shuns evil. He's the real thing. Now, Satan responds, and I want you to see this, by impugning Job's character. But in a sense, he's also impugning God's character. He says, in effect, come on, really? Does Job fear God for nothing? And then I quote, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spreading throughout the land. But stretch stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. That's key for understanding this whole book. In other words, what he's saying is, look, he's rich. Look how richly you blessed him. Look at how you protect him. He's your little favorite. You know, he's teacher's pet. You ever hear that one? No wonder why he fears you. You know why he does it? Because he knows he's going to get something out of the deal. Man, everybody would follow you if they were as blessed as Job. Listen, isn't that true with us? It's easy to praise God when times are going good. It's easy to worship God when you get what you want. But the test is of who you really are, how genuine your faith is. What happens when you don't get what you want? Or what happens worse? Your worst fear happens. Then where are you going to be at? You're going to be saying, oh, praise you, Lord Jesus. You're going to be saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Are you going to come to church and do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, sister, for that honesty. Because that's why, that's why people, look, when people say, I'll tell you what, right now, God, I ain't Job. But you see, this is the overarching theme of the book of Job. Of which the suffering of the righteous and the justice of God is only a subheading. Here's the question. Listen, this is the question of Job. Stick, if, you haven't, if you've been falling asleep, don't fall asleep here. Does anyone really serve God because of who God is or only because of his benefits? That's the, que- that's the challenge, right? That Satan, that Satan brings here in a sense. Is there, listen, I'll put it more simply. Is there anyone who really loves the giver more than the gifts? 
he gives. That's why we get this refrain. It is very deep. We get this refrain repeated over and over again in the book of Job. In chapter 1, verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And then the same thing in, in chapter 2, verse 10. And then later in 42, 7, God himself says, My servant Job has spoken right about me. Woo! Psst. little egg on somebody's face. So don't miss this. It's not simply the character of Job that's at stake. It's the power of God to redeem a people for himself who will worship and serve him not simply for his benefits, but because of who he is. One commentator puts it this way. The attack is on God through Job. And the only way the accuser can be proven false is through Job. We are on a real stage, brothers and sisters. This is not a game. This is not a play. Angels are watching. The devil himself is watching. And I know for us, will we glorify God in our suffering? David Helm puts it this way. The question of the book of Job, he says, this is the question of the book of Job. Is God capable of building a people for himself who will love him regardless of the benefits he bestows upon them. Is there anyone who really fears God? Now, poor old Job. He didn't realize the intense depth and profundity. If that's a word or not, I made it up, but I think Tom knows it's a word. Of the reason for his suffering. In other words, Job had absolutely no clue why this was happening to him. And although we are not as blameless and as upright as he was in practice, and most of our suffering and testing of our faith will never be as intense as his, we would do well to remember that there could be something well beyond our understanding behind what we're going through. It's not so much that that exact scenario was playing out in our lives, so much as it is there could be a multitude of different scenarios that could be going on in heaven that we just can't see and we can't understand. We'll never be privy to those things in this life. Job had no idea why he was suffering so, so severely. He was completely in the dark. And listen, he had nothing but his faith, which was under severe trial at the time. So even this early on in the book, we can learn that very often the inside scoop on our trials and suffering, will not be given to us. It's not for us to know why God allows the things he does allow in our lives. Listen, i got to tell you this as a pastor because I hear it all the time. This is my opportunity to share it with more than one person at a time. How often I will witness people racking their brain. Why, God? You ever see me? Why? And they'll look, look, I'm trying to figure out why God allowed this in my life. And they start saying, maybe he's trying to teach me this. Maybe he's trying to teach me that. How about you ain't going to know, so knock it off. Now, I can't, I can say it like this. I can't. To the person, I go, yeah, I understand. Oh, yeah, let's pray. You know. No, but seriously, stop racking your brain. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Come on, church. Amen. 
Sometimes, indeed, God is disciplining us because we've been straying from him. But I say that very carefully. Sometimes. The problem in Job's life is there was no outstanding crazy sin that he did that compared to the kind of suffering he was going through. We'll see that throughout the book. So those who go to this book to find out the why question may find themselves sorely disappointed. But actually, we're going to see, and this is the last thing I'm going to point out, we're going to see it actually, the book of Job actually answers a more important question. We're going to see that as I deal with this. We saw the blameless man, the hidden plan, and the last thing, I, I mean, the, the very last point, literally I'll take 30 seconds on, but this last one I'm going to focus on, the test begins, and that's in verses 13 and 19. Now, I'm going to fast forward. We already read it, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But I'm going to tell you, we already saw what happened, right? Remember, the messenger comes and talks about that great disaster with his, his camels and his oxen. The ne- while he's still speaking, the next one comes. And while the, he's still speaking, the next one comes. And then, of course, he didn't only lose his fortune, his servants, his son's house, then the devastation. Listen. Every single one of his kids he had to put in the ground at the same time. Can you imagine that funeral? Irrevocable loss. You can never replace a child. It just isn't, you can have a million more, it's not going to be the same. Here's what's interesting. Now's the moment of truth, isn't it? Now the, the, the devil's just waiting. Because the devil says, you take all this stuff away, he's going to curse you to your face. So look, it's literally in heaven, they're on the edge of their seat. And on earth. Because that's where the devil roams, unfortunately. And this is what happens. Look at verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said... Let me tell you, you and me, fill in the blank. (laughs) What would you have said? (laughs) Deeply convicting, right? But look at what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And we're going to see the last point, and I'm going to mention it now. Satan loses, doesn't he, at this first test. And God wins. Because, listen, it's not so much that Job in his own power was a good person. We could miss this and be like moralists. This was the mighty work of God in changing a sinful man and working in a sinful hand man's life and making him a new man in Messiah to come. You with me? It's the power of God that was on display to truly change people. Horatio G. Spafford, I'm going to tell you his story quickly. He was a successful lawyer and a businessman in Chicago, and he had a lovely wife. He had five children, but he, did, he wasn't a stranger to tragedy. He did have, they did have a young son who died of pneumonia. And in that same year, there was this great fire in Chicago, and he lost most of his fortune 
Yet God, in his mercy, brought back his business, and it was flourishing. But then something happened. Listen, he wanted to go hear Moody, the great evangelist, preach in London. But he had some business to take care of, so he sent his wife and three of his daughters, I believe it was, to go ahead of him in a ship. Something happened on that journey. The ship hit hit another ship, and that ship went under, and he got a message. And the message was from his wife, and it simply said, saved alone. His three precious daughters drowned. He later took the trip going over that same uh, path that, where his daughters died. And while he was in that ship, he wrote a hymn as he was going over the very area where his daughters drowned. And this is how the hymn goes. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. At this point, Job doesn't question. He worships. Oh, he'll do plenty of questioning we'll see in the weeks to come. But for now, note this, that Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. To Satan's chagrin and to God's delight, along with all his holy angels, the Lord wins the challenge. Amen. One more, one more uh, quote from a commentator because uh, I read a lot of them and a lot of it I was like, you know. <laughs> but this one was good. He says, the primary purpose of Job's suffering, unknown to him, was that he should stand before men and angels as a trophy of the saving might of God, an exhibit of that divine wisdom which is the archetype, source, and foundation of true human wisdom. Perhaps you may have discovered this morning that the book of Job already answers a question we didn't think to ask. And here is the question. How can I bring glory and honor and joy to my Redeemer, even in, or maybe especially in, the time of my deepest pain and confusion? Ever think about that? Maybe that's the question that Job was meant to answer. Maybe it doesn't answer the why question, but it does give us some good insight into the how question. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, then your deepest desire would be to bring glory to God. Amen? It's to be able to shine the light on how beautiful and perfect and good and holy God is. And that he didn't buy, have to buy your love. But just because of who he is and his mighty works of salvation. You serve and worship him. I close with this. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, 
and the Lord is taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. Let's pray. Father, you know us all. And like Job's sons and daughters, we, we all sin and fall in many ways. And we know that, that even the sins spoken of in Job, even if we fail the test, is not the unforgivable sin. But we thank you that you show us sometimes what's in our heart that we might repent and we might come to know you more deeply. We thank you for this servant of yours, Job, who shows us that it is possible, very possible, to love you because of you. And that it is possible to fear you and to serve you and to love you just because of who you are. God, we sing that in our songs, and we pray that that would be true. As we sang earlier, be still my soul. May that be the song of our hearts, even in our suffering. Because we know, even when we don't have the specific answers, you are a good, holy, loving, and righteous Father. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.